Hey guys, welcome to another podcast episode. This is episode 128 of the Actual Fluency Podcast. And today I'm chatting with Mike Campbell from Glossica. And we have a really good all-around discussion about really language learning at its core, but specifically focusing on how to learn effectively and using repetition to build up your skill. And this is, of course, reflected very much in, in Mike's product, which is Glossica where you can get started with a free trial uh, on tryglossica.com. Give it a chance there, and if you like it, it's a monthly subscription that gets you access to all the 50 languages. But Mike is an extremely interesting character. He, he knows so much about language learning, and in the episode, your head might start spinning a little bit from all the linguistic and academic references he gives, which is a little bit unusual on this show. Normally, uh, certainly I'm speaking for myself, I, I mostly speak out of... Um, anecdotal evidence or from what people have experienced but Mike actually has both he also has the academic background the studies that show why certain things work and it's obviously no secret that Gluska is the sponsor of the show but I actually think that we succeeded in making a really interesting program for you today that doesn't really re involve Gluska that much Gluska is kind of a tool to you know learn the languages it's a tool to that according to the philosophy of the software, is efficient in doing so. Um, but it's not required necessarily for what we talk about here. We talk a lot about input versus output, and we talk a lot about the value of repetition, the value of context, and Mike shares a lot of, of general tidbits and advice. So well worth a listen. I hope you really enjoy it. And uh, like I said, if you want to give Glasgow a try, uh, say Chris sent you. And they'll take good care of you uh, at uh, tryglossica.com. And it's spelled G-L-O-S-S-I-K-A. So give that a try and let me know what you think. And enjoy the episode with Mike Campbell. It's been basically ages since we last talked. It was February 2015. So that's over three years ago. Uh, so obviously people have forgotten everything we said back then. So we can just, uh, if we just slide the old recording in now, we can go have a coffee break. <laughs> Be back in an hour. No, of course not. But for the people who don't know Mike Campbell, do you want to just give them a quick run through of your backstory, how you got into languages, and and then tell us a little bit about uh, what Classic is as well? Yeah, I was just thinking about the last three years, and some things feel like they move very slowly. And some other things feel like they move quickly. So, yeah, there have been quite a lot of changes since then. But, um, but all in all, I mean, it's we're we're still on the same on the same path, same path to to um, just delivering more content for languages and language learning. So, um, originally, I started off with, and just like you had you had just alluded to before we. Um, started the interview was that um, I've also done some work with some um, more obscure languages. But I think that um, the reason why I did that was just kind of to test some theories about language learning. Because um, it's one thing where you can go to the store and buy, you know, one of these um, Routledge colloquial or teach yourself books and learn a language from a book and you have all of the grammar laid out for you and it's really nice and maybe even a CD and recordings uh, but what happens if um, I think you really test your abilities like if you go into um, into some mountainous area or a jungle and you come across a tribe and uh, can you learn their language 
so so you've learned some some tricks from these books and you've uh, learned maybe one or two languages so i think it's the true test of of um so this whole idea of an obscure language is it, it's 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 nice to be able to say, well, we would like to help these languages, you know, be able to thrive in the modern world and with technology. But I think it's another thing is that um, do your do your methods. Is there any grounding for for these methods? And so can they actually help me acquire a language where there are no resources available? And if I'm just actually going in there face to face, you know, um, and it would be, of course, it would be nice to maybe travel to Siberia and try this in a somewhere somewhere else. And uh, I don't have the um, the ability to travel to some places and try that. But I think that um, here in my backyard, there are a few languages. Uh, since I live in Taiwan, there are a few languages that we have access to here, and that I could go and try this. So um, that's kind of been the idea behind this this whole language learning is that can you learn a language without the text without materials and without reading from a book um, can you do it with just sound with just audio and if that audio is in place um, you know like one of the earlier earliest methods I used is I would take a whole set of um, sentences and just um, pieces of of ideas not just vocabulary but just like these um, these pieces of ideas and and reconstruct them and have them record these. And I would listen to these recordings again and again to, to pick it up. And I found that you could really, um, there's a lot of talk these days in um, artificial intelligence and AI and in machine learning. And there's this concept called a black box. For example, if you wanna teach a car how to drive autonomously on its own, you give it a basic set of instructions, you know, stay within the, the lines of the road and use cameras to view. But then the whole learning itself happens inside of a black box. And so this black box is actually the humans, we don't really know what the car is doing specifically while it's learning, but it is learning to stay within the lines and turn corners and do all these other, um, these other uh, functions. And so I believe that there is some aspect of our brain that is a black box, but if you don't build a foundation for for that learning, then the brain doesn't really pick up the patterns and learn. So, for example, if, um, you could watch some TV programs for 20 years in a foreign language, but you'd never pick up anything because you just haven't given it any sort of foundation for picking up the patterns. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of people, they think, well, just mass exposure to lots of media really helps. Well, it doesn't really help unless you already understand something and you're just adding a little bit every time. Because if your understanding is near zero, then you're actually not adding anything at all. <laughs> so how do you get started then? Is that, um, is that, the, is that the those books, those the books Routledge we were talking about? or? All right, so um, you're asking how I got started? Well, we can talk about that as well. Uh, so that's just a little bit of echo. Uh, do you, I don't know if you changed anything. I can hear myself in in the in the uh, recording. Is it gone now? Maybe it's okay. Can turn my volume down. <laughs> just for just for as much as you can hear me still. Um, no, I was just wondering because that uh, concept is something that I've been dealing with a little bit lately as well. Is is this idea of 
we have a, a basic set of ways to learn languages. The brain has a natural way of assimilating, but that works very well when you're a baby because that's when you need to learn it. But when you're an adult, I feel like a lot of times people either do way too much um, sort of fake stuff, like let's say I'm on Duolingo all day. I mean, that's not really going to get me to use the language at all. Or people will just sit and watch films or, you know, just listen to stuff, which is very useful. But again, it doesn't create that language. It doesn't build the skills needed. Uh, so what the question that I had that immediately sprung to mind is if I need a basis or a foundation to begin to build something off of that native material or the listening or the shattering, what is that foundation in your mind anyway? That, that people can effectively use to to start out the right way. Is it textbooks if they're available? Is it some of them, you know, really beginner friendly content? Is it a kids uh, fairy tales? What what can people do to start out with? Yeah, I, I think that there's actually two two sections that we could talk about in that question. Um, First of all, I mean, you could you could go onto the Glossika platform that, that we built and try a lot of languages that um, that maybe you've never even heard of. <laughs> um, <laughs> got things in there like Kurdish and um, I don't know what languages people might not have heard of before. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe like Bengali, even though that's a national language. Um, maybe some people have never heard of it. But you could go on there and try it and then... Um, in my mind, it should be able to give you some of that foundation so that you can actually move forward. But I would say that Glossika probably has a really hard starting point for people mm -hmm. that don't have experience with languages. I often say the hardest language in the whole world to learn is the first foreign language you <laughs> Right. And again, a year after that. So if you fail at the first one, don't worry. Try another one. Try two more. Um, you might as well make the first one really, really hard anyway because everything after that's easier <laughs> in comparison. <laughs> Um, so, um, so like I said, there are kind of two parts to that question. If I can remember exactly, um, what I was thinking about the, um, the first thing would be that to, to build, to build that foundation. Okay. So the first thing I wanted to, to mention real quick was just the input output part. So, um, what you're saying, it's, it's, you can get a lot of input, but actually creating the output is very difficult. And I think that, that that has to do with environment, that has to do with um, your own motivation and whatnot. But um, if you're just getting a lot of input, there may not be that push or impetus to, to actually create the output. And so this is where shadowing is actually really good. So even if you're not pronouncing things out loud, but you're moving your tongue and you're kind of mimicking like how a baby does, this is actually building muscle memory. The tongue is a muscle, so move it. Move it as much as you can and then start to mumble your words and start to make some sounds. And even if you sound really silly in the beginning, it's it's kind of okay because that that is actually part of the process. It's like learning to swim or you know learning to sing. You're just going to sound really silly at the beginning, but after after a thousand hours of singing practice, you probably start sounding much better. Um, and so, you know, that's the first thing is that the output, the output really depends on muscle memory. And so I like to think of our tongue as falling into 
um, for some listeners who may not be familiar with English, we have a word called a rut, which is the, the wheels of the carriage that leave the, the line in the road. And so we, we, say, we say things that where you, you fall into a rut, which means you fall into this one line that just gets deeper and deeper, you know, and you're always following that one line. But I think that our tongue, when we are babies, they fall into like maybe three or four or five ruts in our mouth. And so our tongue position always hits those exact same positions every time when we speak. So my T's and S's are always going to be one position. My K's and G's are always going to be in another position. And it's really hard to kind of adjust out of outside of those ruts over time. And so learning a new language actually forces us to, to learn new positions and, and ruts. And that's why, you know, learning the second and the third and fourth language gets easier because the pronunciation just matches with something you've already been doing. You already have new ruts in there. And so that muscle memory is really important. So that that's the first part of your question. Um, now, let me see if I can remember the second part of your question. <laughs> um, okay, so building the groundwork. Um, for example, my, my belief is is basically that you have to have a way for the brain as a black box to start doing pattern recognition. And so when you're doing a lot of input, whether that's media, TV, radio, and whatnot, you just don't have, you don't have the ability to do pattern recognition on a mass amount of conversation. If you take a small child who's three years old, and you start talking to them about politics and the elections and everything else that is going on on TV. For the child, that's just noise. And the child yeah. is not, for the child, it's like us listening to a foreign language. There's nothing that they understand. But if you go up to the child, you say, do you want to eat? Are you hungry? You want to go to sleep? Then the child can inter interact and start, you know, understands because it's, you're speaking at a level that, that is, it's really important to their life, first of all. Like, yes, I have these feelings inside of me and you're addressing them and, and I feel <laughs> excited because I'm, I understand and I'm communicating. And then at some point, the language grows and grows and grows until they're able to talk about politics and everything else. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not going to happen for a three-year-old. And so we are, we are very much like three-year-olds. And so you have, to, you have to really start off with um, pattern recognition. And so what we do at Glossica is we build um, pattern recognition really comes down to syntactic structures. It's a fancy word, which just means word order. And so um, the funny thing about these programs, um, there's a lot of apps out there and a lot of new ones coming on the market that are really just, um, they're kind of fun and you got fancy sounds and little things you can match and this is great. Um, but they really focus on vocabulary building. Right, yeah. The, the vocabulary building is is just, I would say it's, you know, it's a very small portion of language learning. I think vocabulary building is important. So go ahead and do that. And as long as you feel engaged and you feel like it's fun, then you're enjoying the process and you're learning. That's great. But when it actually comes to communicating, where you put the words in the sentence are also very important. And when the words appear in a different position in the sentence, you have different grammar starting to affect those words and they change. You know, and So this is really important as well. And you can't really learn that from just learning vocabulary. Right. You know, if I'm learning... If I'm learning a um, a language that has um, older grammatical forms from the the old European um, structure, which where it has genitive and locative um, declensions and accusative and dative declensions, then you're and it has this vestige of um, this older grammar in it that we don't have in English anymore. But um, then you're going to be faced with a problem with 
um, well, do I learn all this grammar first and then I learn how to speak and I learn how to apply it to every single vocabulary word that I'm learning? But actually I found that a lot of that grammar, it doesn't actually appear on every single vocabulary word. And so some vocabulary words, they have a specific grammar in a specific situation. And if you just learn that, and then you start learning a lot of phrases with a similar structure, you actually get the grammar intact as you're speaking, just as a child does. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you ask a five-year-old child who speaks Lithuanian, which word is dative case? They <laughs> have no idea, but they are actually creating it naturally because they, they mimic their surroundings and it makes sense to them because in that specific word order or syntax, it just comes out and it flows right. Okay, so um, this is the basic idea is that you have to you have to build up the foundation where the, you give them simple structures where they're mimicking um, the word order with the grammar intact. And so that when they speak these very simple sentences, whether they're I'm, I'm hungry, I'm tired, or I'm thirsty, they're actually creating the predicate form with the correct grammar intact. And so you start building off of that. And so there's basically, you know, about a dozen uh, major areas of syntactic growth that you have to go through um, to really build out your fluency. And so that was just the very first step. Mm. Yeah, um, it, it's funny. I, I talk about this a lot about learning in context that, you know, in, in languages like Russian or other declined languages, you have phrases are rarely going to be, I mean, you have phrases that I use so much and that therefore learning that case will not be a, like learning the declension table. It would just be like, okay, if I want to say this, this is the ending that I'm going to use. And for me, that just makes a huge difference because let's say you, you're learning Russian vocabulary. Well, you're suddenly learning, I mean, what is it? Eight forms of the word. Uh, some, of them yeah. are, some of them are the same. I For guess, example, but... if I say, I don't even have to think that I'm going to say that in genitive case. It just comes out. Yeah, exactly. Automatically. Because you've got and, that pattern. You've got that uh, yeah. experience seeing that kind of uh, pattern of words next to each other. I, I think that's really useful because when I started, I would do a lot of flashcards, which are very effective, I will say, you know, but I don't think they work very well for those kind of languages. I guess that's another problem we might uh, we can maybe address. Uh, if I'm learning, let's say, uh, an easier language, maybe like Danish, my my native language, we don't really have any kind of declension or cases or anything. Like we have two cases, but you know they're not really. There's no rule for it, so you can't really learn it. That you can't say words ending in this should be that, and words ending in this should be that. It's just. So do you learn? Do you learn the rules specifically when you go to school? But there are no rules. It's just part of learning the uh, learning the gender of a word. It's either it's this or it's that, and because so we only they, have to they, they teach you this specific grammar in school as a child. You have to do exercises and no, no. You just know. You just say it naturally, huh? Yeah, you just know. Like you just know. I mean, people still make mistakes with this, and there are new words coming in from English that are being, you know. <laughs> Danglified, and there's always a huge debate whether it's one or the other because there are no fixed rules. There's no like spelling or oh, anything okay. to do with former. Uh, so, if I had to compare those two languages, I would first of all say Danish objectively is a lot easier than Russian. You know, I know some right. people have a hard time kind of comparing languages, which is fair enough because if you're, let's say, a Serbian, then Russian is probably easier than Danish. But right. 
let's say for me anyway. And the thing is, if I was learning Danish through flashcards, I would probably do a really good job because there's not that many variations. I mean, the words are the same anyway because right. we don't use endings; we we put it in front anyway. So there's only one way. There's only one way to say the word, which is great. But if I'm learning Russian, there could be up to eight ways. And let's say I yeah. have to learn all of them because I'm being a completionist or <laughs> idiot, I guess you can say. Uh, I'm suddenly spending eight times as long learning. Uh, the words meaning I learn eight times as little, and I don't even need it. But because not only that, you don't. You not only that, them. but the declen yeah, the declensions in Russian will change from word to word, and so you'll have a masculine declension that sometimes it has an o ending and sometimes has a y ending. There you go, exceptions. And, yeah, and I think that if you if you actually, I've been writing a little bit about this about the um the these grammatical details of Russian in that it, if you actually treat the, the, there's actually a very interesting relationship between the, the or and the year. And um, it really just has to do with the palatalization in the word. So a lot of that can just be determined. I mean, it, it would actually flow out very easily. And the, and the or is actually always a weak consonant. So it's always an uh. And there's also a complex relationship between the, the or and the year and the your. Mm -hmm. Which is the accented, the accented um, palatalized or, but it actually is an e with a with an umlaut or a diresis. Yeah. And so, um, this is actually it. Actually, is a um, the if you go deep, deep, deep into the grammar into the history of the language, it's actually an or that is palatalized, and now it's um, it has an accent, and so you don't really realize it because it's spelled like with an with a year, with a with a letter E. And so this is, um, it can be kind of confusing, but there's actually this complex relationship between them. And, and then if you if you actually learn the language speaking um, in a more of a fluent way, in a relaxed way, rather than memorizing all of the, the declensions and the rules, you actually kind of create the right endings naturally. Yeah, you can hear it without, eventually, you know, you just- Yeah, you don't really need to think about it because it's almost impossible to switch over to an or when it's already palatal because it just doesn't flow. <laughs> it just so I think memorizing all those endings is actually you're you're hurting yourself by definitely just, you're you're building walls for yourself in learning because you're just gonna get frustrated really, really fast. Yeah. And if you just relax and let it flow, you have to mimic exactly how the native speaker does it. But by doing that, you actually feel the right endings always flowing out easiest. <laughs> yeah, but I think it comes from school. I think it comes from the uh, the rote learning in school, where you just yeah. you just meant yeah. to learn all the, the the conjugation tables. I I remember learning it for German. Uh, doing we we did phrases going through all the you know der den der steam and all the different article conjugations, and I didn't really learn it to be honest. Uh, I. I speak German quite well, but I make a lot of these gender mistakes and, and grammar ending mistakes. Even if we spend a lot of time. I still remember, I can still chant it. Dirty does, dem der dem des der des. There you go, you had it as well. Uh, but I, I remember. Uh, I yeah. think I can recite it as well. <laughs> and you've got the, um, what are they called, the prepositions that take certain cases as well. Um, right. And th these are just examples of, in my opinion, a way of taking language learning, which is a really natural process, and turn it into something like math, which is something we just kind of made right. up. You know, this 
as far as I know, anyway, I'm not an expert on math, but to me, there's nothing really that natural about math. We, of course, you can find math in nature, but right. the understanding of math, I believe, is, as far as I know, entirely made up. Like that's we decided that that's. Well, yeah, I know way. a few mathematicians, <laughs> and I've never heard them speak fluent mathematics. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I, they I'm can sure. write things down on paper and show you, but they don't really speak it fluently. <laughs> right. There you go. So that that's, and even when they write it down, I still don't understand it. But <laughs> yeah, I, st I have no idea. Yeah, but that just shows you it must be a terrible way to learn a language, uh, like doing it like <laughs> math, because nobody speaks fluent math. <laughs> and nobody speaks fluent math. But yeah. but interesting though, know, and and if you look at this, um, there's a really good parallel here, and that is that um, math does describe nature. It is a it is a um, it is a way that we can encode all of the, uh, you know, the the physics and the the science of nature, and 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 actually writing is the same thing. It's like we're encoding the science of our language um, and writing it down. We're recording it just as we are recording the 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 physical, you know, mathematical the you know of of nature. And so, in a way, you know, writing is is sort of a construct, and it doesn't really. And I, I believe seriously that writing is actually you, you take time to revise and rewrite um, and, and, and re, redo all of your, your writing and your prose and your your essays. And you do this many times and, and make your writing better and better. But few people that I know of can actually stand up and and speak with excellently, excellently written prose directly out of their brain. Right. It's very different. So yeah. Few people can actually are affluent in that way either. <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 hard, yeah, for sure. But so what as a as a um as a you know founder of a language software company, how do you deal with that difficulty of just how different the languages are? Because on your side you have Danish, you have Russian, you have uh, Bengali, you know, you have such different kind of uh languages how do you face up to those challenges of teaching fundamentally the same i mean it's a language where, you know people speak right, it people right. commu it's communication but they have such different moving parts because uh, for me i wouldn't even know where to begin with that that must be a huge challenge well you know if you have um a child at the age of 12 months in any country in the world and it and then from 12 months to 36 months, uh, the third birthday, all children in the world, they're basically going through the exact same process in different countries, in different environments, with different languages, but they're all experiencing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And by 36 months, they speak 600 words, at least. Every child, even the slow learners, will have maybe at least 500 words that they can speak. And they probably understand maybe up to 1,000 more, which mm -hmm. they, start, they start slowly... Uh, integrating into their speech in, in the following years. And so every every three-year-old child has this active vocabulary of about 600 words. And so it happens across all languages. Now, I don't know about the bilingual child. Maybe the bilingual child has some um, slower slower capacity with, with both languages, um, but they, they start to appear later. I haven't seen any studies on that specifically, but I know for, for monolingual speakers, it's it's like that. And so we actually know what vocabulary they learn uh, in what order for most children. I mean, they, they actually start producing, 
certain words at a certain month. And there's a great study by Stanford University that has done this. Um, and it's a, a study that covers about 20 different languages from around the world. So it's, it's quite comprehensive. And um, their numbers are higher for Chinese, but as a Chinese speaker, I think that they're counting words differently. Okay. I think that the number is still the same. You know, they're, they're probably counting individual characters, but I, I, I still believe it's the same. Um, so I, I, I find that, you know, language learning really is, this, really is the same for, for, for every child around the world. So when you ask me the question, how do we, you know, I, I think we, we look at it as how does a child learn a language mm -hmm. and what, what prepares the mind to be able to pick up um, that data? For, so we're not children and we learn languages differently. We think about things, but we also want to address um, the basic the basic issues of, of human life, which is, you know, I'm hungry or I'm tired. And we kind of start off with those kinds of words and we build it out from there. And then we start talking about what your, your daily activities are. What are you planning for next week? What did I do yesterday? And all of these kinds of things. And we work through all of these activities. And um, now that that's content related. I mean, we could actually create all kinds of different, we could change our content completely. We could change every single sentence in our database. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't change how, how we actually deliver uh, the content. We deliver the content in the same way. Right. But what so you, it does is we actually um, break down the structures of every single language and we sort them. So this is this is the difference from our 2015 version from three years ago. Is that which was a static um, book form. Today it's it's um, you know every language is delivered a little bit differently, and algorithm figures out the sorting for that um, based on that language's uh, different kinds of complexity. And what is the the easiest way to to acquire um, these specific concepts? So every sentence it actually has a, a deep, uh, what I would call a syntacto-semantic layer, which is different than the surface layer. The surface layer is what you actually hear, and so every every word, uh, every sentence actually has that underlying um, syntacto-semantic framework. And so from that framework, uh, one common example I give is that. You could say an accident happened. Mm -hmm. In English, we say the accident first, and we say the happened second. But the accident is not an agent in the sentence. The accident did not do anything. The accident occurred. It is an is an existential verb. So the existential verb means that it just existed. It it came into existence. You could say come into existence. A problem or an accident, you know, and this sort of encodes that how maybe an Aborigine speaker would speak in his own language. But if you if you look at the Russian, um, you can't say the word order in the same way that we do in English. Even though Russian is typically subject verb object, you say you don't say avaria prizashlo, you say prizashlo avaria, and it's not avariu, it's not in the accusative, it's still in the nominative. You say avaria, and so some learner of the language might say. Well, why do you say praizashlo? is obviously conjugated for a, a, a neutral form. It, it's it's not conjugated for. You're not saying praizashla. It's not for the avaria. It's it's um, it happened. It it happened. It's it praizashlo. Yeah. And then the avaria happens. And then the avaria is just a theme for the sentence. So the the theme is just like a third party in the sentence. It doesn't really. It's not a subject. It's not an object. So if you use a, a sort of subject-object learning pattern for everything, you're just going to get really confused. And then in a lot of lot of languages, you have these um, 
these actions that happen that are related to the body that we don't re really control. So for example, a lot of things are like um, you, you fall asleep or you cough or you sneeze or you wake up. And these are just a lot of things that happen with the body that we don't really control. They just happen. And so in English, we always use the I. I did it. I coughed. But you're not really the agent. You, you didn't control it or, you know, it, it just happened to you. And so in a lot of languages, that I is actually a me. And so we have to group these kinds of sentences into their own group, like bodily functions are in their own group, because maybe in that language, you want to be able to pick up the pattern and not, you're not learning it in some other pattern, which is subject, verb, an object where you're mixing it up with a bunch of other sentences and you're just going to get confused. It's like, why suddenly sometimes the I is now a me mm -hmm. and, and sometimes, you know, I'm getting confused. Why, why is this? But if you, if you separate all of the sentences by their, their, the very deep grammar, which is what is the inter the interrelationship between all of the parties involved in the sentence, and do they fall into a certain class? So there's a, a kind of verb called a semifactive verb, and a semifactive verb is something that happens once and it happens and it and it and it's gone, it's done. For example, maybe my my cup of coffee here it falls onto the ground and shatters. So fall. It's a semifactive verb because unless I take a snapshot in time while it is falling, but normally when, if you ask me what happened to your coffee, I would say it fell. I wouldn't say it was falling. You can't right. even say that. You can't even put it into the continuous tense. It was falling. Right. Maybe I could if, if it was falling for a long time and the telephone rang and it was falling and the telephone rang, <laughs> you know? but it actually just happens really fast. Or yeah. even when it shatters, a shatter is a semifactive verb. And so you don't have these verbs happening in the continuous tense. So if you're learning Russian, you just, you're, you know, you're not going to have the imperfective form of these verbs. You're only going to have the perfective form of these verbs. Mm. Yeah, that's another point. Yeah. And so a lot of, a lot of students they actually confuse, you know, they might be learning um, Spanish or French or German and they get confused. You know, you have perfect verbs or the present perfect and the past perfect and then in, in the Slavic language, you have perfective and imperfective. And what is the difference? Is there a difference between these? And the answer is yes, because the perfective verb, the perfective verb actually means that a, an action is finished. But in the Western uh, European languages, perfect means that it is both time and finish. So there is both a, a time element and the completion of the action um, built into one verb. But isn't and that so super hard to teach, though? Because it's really you, hard to teach because students they use the translation. Yeah, really to, let's say so you it have to translate break, the same way, right? You have to break up the patterns into into different groups. And so, if you say that something happened at a certain over a certain period of time, for example, in English, I could say um, it happened this week, or it has it has happened. Uh, it has happened once in the last month or something like this, you know, how you have a period of time attached to it. And the German, German is a little bit less strict about this. Um, you, it could, it could, um, you know, it's, it's, you could say that it, it happened, um, uh, it happened on Friday, you know, um, I'm trying to remember my German here. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not. No it's hard. It's hard. I'm, 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 Freitag. Um, you know, 
passiert. Passiert, ja. Und dann könnt ihr sagen, und dann könnt ihr die Präsent Perfect Form da but it, it is actually referring to a, a point previous in time. Whereas the Russian, it doesn't really have, because right now I'm, my Russian is probably fresher in my mind than my German, but the, um, the Russian is actually focused more on the completed action and less on the time. And so that is what perfective is. And so the imperfective is like the imperfect, except that the imperfect encodes the time. And so it's always in the past. So the imperfect is I was doing yeah. Like you have Spanish in French, you know. And in Russian, the imperfective is not I was doing. It was it is I am doing and I was doing. You have to add you have to add the tense to it. And so the perfective in the perfective in Russian, you don't have a present tense. It can be the future. Because I will do it means I I I am certain that I will go and complete this action. Yeah. I, I will go and read this book to completion. Yeah. Well, that makes and, it really hard to learn Russian, for instance. But I just wondered with the, if you use primarily, let's say, a translation, how do you explain the difference between well, if you it just, just says have, red, you just <laughs> or... have the translation set up right. Okay, you know, we'll read. I guess I, hmm. or I read the book. I was reading the book. Maybe that's the difference. Like I, Maybe have it's not you, as complicated as to make it out. <laughs> have you read this book? And so I think you know. Normally, we would just translate it as, as, a, as a perfective. Did you finish it? Yeah. Because, yeah, because normally when you read when you ask somebody a question. You know, I have a book sitting here somewhere. Okay, so have you have you read this book? This is this is a great book. In in conversation, people are only going to use one form. Yeah. That I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go and ask you. Were you reading this book? Were you reading this book? He's like, I I was reading it, but I finished it. You know, in English, we don't ask that. Right. In, in any language, people don't don't ask the question like that. Were you reading this book? Unless there's something more to the sentence. You have to you have to have something more to the, so in in this case when you're learning complex these complex uh, verb forms in different languages there really has to be more to the sentence in order to actually use that verb so memorizing these verbs in like out of context can be quite confusing mm -hmm. and it's just like memorizing the declension table because you you're not really you're not really understanding when the verb is actually being used and in what context but right. if, you, if you always learn if you always learn pachitach in that kind of context, then you think that, well, I know how to use it in this context. And so if I hear it in a different, if I hear the, um, the imperfective in another context, then I understand that it's outside of the context that I've learned. So it must have the other meaning. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, and also one thing I'm thinking while we're talking uh, a lot about uh, giving examples from English, and I keep thinking how hard English must be to learn if you're not, uh, let's say, from from uh, uh, languages that are similar because English is so that's a yeah to tell the truth <laughs> Slavic languages the Slavic languages have a very simple verb structure <laughs> compared to the Western languages and so it's actually much more difficult for them to learn the the complex verb structures especially in English that's true yeah I was thinking you said you know fall asleep obviously that's natural for us but 
if you're learning, it's like fall asleep. <laughs> uh, you know, all these, um, what do you call right. them? Um, fixed expressions. And it, right. it, I really respect people who are learning English. And it's the most, I think it's the most learned language in the world uh, as a second right. language anyway. And right. um, so that must be, that must be quite a challenge. Do you have a do you have a uh, an English course? Uh, is it any different from the other courses? Do you do anything differently to serve that market rather than the other languages? Yeah, actually, we have um, the the English course. I think is one of our top popular courses. And of course, they can choose between British and American English that we have on the site. Um, but oh, I don't nice. know the exact numbers between them. But I think added up. It's probably one. I think um, our top languages happen to be French, Spanish, and English, um, and a lot of others that follow close behind. You know, everything that you can learn in school are basically your top top languages: German, Japanese, and Chinese, maybe, um, and Italian. You know. Yeah, and these are the popular choices everywhere. Whether it's right, right. Duolingo or uh, Teach Yourself or you know, right, right, whatever you look into. So. So I, I can definitely understand that. Um, it's cool to see, though, that a lot of people are, are doing well in English as well. I, I, I really like, it's one of my favorite languages for sure. The flexibility in the speech, the, that also makes it difficult. You know, the nuances, the, the right. small differences between choosing that word over another word or how you say things <laughs> it makes it extremely hard. Um, but I think what I really, what I just wanted to add with, with uh, Glasgow is we talked about three years ago, we were talking 2015, you were talking about theoretically uh, or as a fundamental principle, how sentence-based learning works. And I think just in the three years, I think most people who have been part of the community for a little while are starting to pick up on this now. They're starting to understand that language is not just these fractured pieces of vocabulary that just comes together. It's really just getting the context, the kind of the pattern recognition that we talked about. And what right. I found really cool about the, the new Glossika, uh, do you call it the AI version or is this just the URL? Because uh, I don't know how to uh, distinguish the two, but the online version that you have now, I think is, is fantastic compared to the old one. I know that the sort of the core idea is the same, but right. having just listening to files and stuff, it, it was really kind of a tedious process. Whereas now yep. you just log in and you just, press a button and there's even you know hands-free you just sit back and it just kind of goes through the reps for you i think this that's is what i wanted to really build cool. like years ago but we we just we had we've always had trouble looking for developers to join the team and so when we actually we had people join the team we built it and so you know i'm still looking for developers because we uh, this is about like maybe one fourth of of the whole platform that i want to build um but yeah, there's there's a lot more things that we would like to push out. Yeah, um, but One this says, is this is what I always had in mind from the very beginning, and I think that the just publishing was a very first step, a very first step. But it wasn't it wasn't the ideal thing, you know, with the packaged uh, MP3 files, and it was very tedious to try to explain how to open up. And I just thought, you know, a, a program or even an app that just does all of this automatically for you would be really great. An app is something that we're, we're moving towards, uh, of course. Um, but it's uh, it, it takes time and it takes a lot of investment to to be able to um, to get people on board and and they understand how to build the technology is is really a tough thing. Um, most developers they don't know 
much about language in general. And so some of their preconceptions are not exactly what we want to build. And so there's a lot of communication that has to go on uh, in building that. Yeah. Sure. And I've, what I've seen also is you, you've added a lot of new ways to interact with the material. There's some, some new tools out there, some new, I don't know if you want to call them games, maybe. Uh, maybe that's a little bit too much uh, uh, ap appified, but there's definitely new tools of, of going through the materials. What kind of, how did you come up with with that to, you know, you have your basic principle that you, you go through the sentences, the materials, you get the pattern recognition, and now I can go in and I can do these kind of, well, yeah, almost games-like, let's call it what they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. When did you start doing those and, and what where did they come from? Because that's, that's what I see a lot in other apps and in, in kind of the new modern world is they want to gamify everything. So, so yeah. how do you how do you add, well, add those think, things? You know, you'll see those um, supplementary training modules below the the main training, which is start your session. Right. And so, um, we're not able to roll those out for every language because there are some peculiarities with that specific language that might make that um, not work properly. And so, we're still working through that to make sure that we, you know, there's some some things that we have to do specifically for some languages, sure. um, and like we're revising the romanization on a few languages so that when we do like the, um, there's something where you, we ask you to write out the language um, based on the romanization. So it actually trains you to be able to go from like, or maybe you hear the, the this is a dictation. You, you hear the language and you're supposed to type it out um, exactly with the right spelling and all of that. Um, but in some, in some cases we just show you the, the IPA or we show you, some other transcription and then you're supposed to or romanization so for example i might write the sentence out in pinyin in chinese pinyin and then you're supposed to write it out and you're supposed to type out the characters which actually tests your ability to to read and write chinese um this is not really a core component of glossica because um we actually just train you for the speaking and listening but it's something that a lot of people they've asked for uh they want to have that supplementary training so that well i've learned um I've learned how to hear and understand and say these words. Now I want to be able to make sure that I also know the, the characters. And so um, I want to be able to, t you know, practice, practice that. And so for some languages, it's very useful for like Chinese. Um, for some languages like Spanish, it might just be very, it might be too easy because it's spelled out phonetically. Mm -hmm. But maybe getting the accents right is still a challenge. Um, so the, we, we've developed those basically just because of, um, we, we listen to our customers and what they want and not every feature that they ask for we're able to to develop and build some are a little bit complex but um a lot of things we were able to roll out for them yeah it's pretty cool like, so it's a, a way of, of asking, yeah a lot of people are asking for search functions and being able to have more control of the sentences and, and it's something that i would like to have as well myself and i i just re i know how how difficult of a programming job that is and so it's a, it's a large project that we need to hire um grow the team a little bit so that we have we don't spread our resources too thin. Yeah. Right. So, so just to clarify, if I if I were to start Glossika for the first time today after listening to this, you've got the main training program, the one that does the reps. Uh, so, would you say that the if the language has these supplementary features, would you say that one can safely ignore them if you're not if you're a little bit busy or you don't have much time, or would you say that it would be a really good idea to move a little bit between the two of them just to mix it up a bit or vary it? Like what would be a good strategy there? 
Well, I use Glossika and I, I, I actually rarely use any of those other supplementary mod modules below, mainly because I, I know that I'm going to get the, the best practice out of the session, the actual training session. And the way that I use the session is that I actually turn it off. I, I use it on my, on my cell phone. Um, I, I go out in my morning routine is usually I, I go out running and I go to the gym for about an hour <clears throat> and I'll, I'll use it during that time. And I, do, I don't even look at the screen. Now, when new sentences come on, maybe I just need to pause and, and take a look at some of the new sentences that come on somewhere around the near the end of the, of the training period for that day. Um, I'll take a look at some of the new sentences and make sure that I, I, I see it visually and I understand what's happening there. And then I'll just put it back in my pocket and continue mm -hmm. um, and just keep going. For, I mean, I've seen them once and, you know, that's fine. Um, not really interested in, in being able to um, being able to spell everything correctly, you know, because I think for me, my own personal goal, which may differ from other people, some people, they might want to be able to spell English correctly. And so they want to make sure that they're doing all those games and practices and, and doing doing it uh, specifically. Um, and, but for me, I just want to be able to, for some languages, I just want to be able to understand. And I think that understanding is a, is a major big, big uh, step towards speaking later. So I may not even be repeating everything that I hear. I just want to be able to understand what what people are saying in that language and so that I can, I feel like, you know, I can, I can keep up with the conversation and then maybe at some point in the future, I'll have enough confidence to actually start speaking if I ever, if I'm ever in that situation. Um, of but I think one of the interesting things about Glossika is that um, I've sat in the recording sessions for so many languages, including the, the Danish that we re recorded and it takes a couple of days, you know, two or three days. And, um, but even going through the Danish, I think I felt like by the end of that session of just recording and just listening to all the sentences once through and, and checking with the, with the sheet, making sure we recorded everything correctly. I'm starting to understand a, a very big portion of Danish. Now a week later, I forget it all, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just fascinating that we're, we're by the end of that recording session, I'm understanding, I couldn't possibly say anything yet, but I'm understanding maybe 70 to 80 percent because the sentence structures are are there and and the vocabulary some of it matches some some german some of it matches some english and and so i feel like i can actually hear the language i can hear the meanings jumping out of this the sounds of the language and so i've sat through the sessions for for slovene and and um and croatian and slovak and polish and Belarusian and a lot of these languages, Lithuanian and Latvian as well. And, and I just felt like you can really start to hear the meanings come out by the end of, you know, two or three days of sitting. So I think, you know, just sitting there and doing it um, intensely for a few days really, really helps. Um, like and, a silent period kind of thing. I've heard yeah, some people and, talk about that. In if, the I, if I had done more than three days on any one of those languages, I think I'd be understanding quite a lot of, of spoken dialogue. Um, in just a relatively short period of time. And, I, and so I, I think that in, in some way, it's actually possible for, for any one human to probably understand up to 100 languages or more in the world in his lifetime. But to, to achieve real fluency and mastery of a language, you may only have a, a few, a handful, maybe three or four or five languages in your lifetime that you can really achieve true mastery.
but you could. I think it's theoretically possible that you could understand uh, <laughs> maybe a hundred languages in your lifetime. You know, yeah. if you, if you have a system that's good enough that trains you with um, with the audio, like we're doing, and so I think that one of these days we're probably going to end up with a customer that has <laughs> incredible listening ability in in a lot of languages. Yeah, well, that I mean, especially there's so many similar languages as well. I can I can definitely see that happening. And and if if somebody really has a as a good productivity for doing it every day on a regular basis, then I can't yeah. see why not. I mean, it it should be possible. I, I mean, of course, you have to get to a hundred languages on Classica. I know you have uh, a lot of them at the minute. Was it fifty? 50 plus um but you need to add a few more to get to the to the 100 <laughs> well we built those the hard way there's an there's a much easier way to do it and so we're building the platform to do that mm. and once we have that platform we'll be able to go out to 300 500 1000 languages uh much easier and so the the current way we're doing it is is it's really manual and really intensive um and so there's a much easier way to do it so um yeah, I think, you know, a hundred languages, I, I think, you know, right now, <clears throat> can you hear me okay? Yeah, totally. Okay, so um, I think um, we have a few more to roll out, Central Asia, um, maybe India, Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and then, of course, there's a lot of interest in, in the revitalization of languages. Hopefully, you know, people are asking, we, we get requests all the time, Greenlandic, um, Navajo, Nahuatl. Um, Quechua, right. uh, Guarani, uh, they're asking for a lot of the, the new world languages, um, you know, Cree or Ojibwe, you know, um, Lakota, Klingon, you know, they have small, <laughs> small, small communities of, um, Native American speakers and, um, Cherokee and, and so I think that. You know, our team may not have the, the ability to actually develop these languages um, the old way. So we really need a new system to to assist the teachers and to, to assist the community of people out there who want to put their content onto Glossica. And so this really this is really a, a tool for for com community where they, they can collaborate and work together and actually build it. And then Glossica is just the medium. We deliver the, la the language. We can, we can break it down into its, its components and figure out how it works and let the algorithms do their job. But then it, it delivers it in a way that it's easy to start learning a language from the very first step and you get the easiest parts, you know? And so that's what we, we want to do. And so we would have, you know, the A1 content would be, fleshed out with all of this, this content it would be easy for them to get through it and build up their basic um, abilities for for the community you know That's we have really some cool. test runs with some of the the local languages where i live here um, we have some indigenous languages that i mentioned earlier and so there's a kind of a test test bed for that yeah Okay, cool. So that's kind of like the the future of, of where it's going. It's going to be more of a, a platform, a more a versatile platform to right. put more more on. And I guess that would also allow you to continuously update the old languages instead of having to hire the recording studio right. every well, year or every six months. The other thing is this, is that 
our core team, we, we do not have the resources, the ability to keep adding languages to the platform. And so it just doesn't make sense because there is no business model for that. Um, but we do have a lot of customers that want content for things like French and German and Spanish. And so that's where most of our focus is. And so we're adding content continuously to all of our major languages. I would say that there's more than a dozen languages that we're adding content to continuously. Mm. And, and so those, that's really important because people are reaching stages of like B2 level and C1 level and they, they're running out of content. Um, there are actually more categories that, where you can choose categories on, on, on Glossic and some of those categories are lacking a lot of sentences. So we're, we're adding in more and more content to those categories and, and just really, um, you know, I think that um, a few years ago when, we're, when we had the books, there were about uh, 3,000 sentences in those books. And now on some of our languages, we're getting close to 10,000 sentences. Wow. That's a lot. And so it, they're really split up over all of the different um, levels. So you know, you're going to have a really nice amount of uh, content on whatever level you're in. But you can also skip that content by using the, um, the feedback inside of the system, telling us um, how you felt about the difficulty level and so we can actually pass you on to the next, the next um, skill in the skill tree, uh, along you know along that path. So you can actually you know if A one is actually still kind of it's kind of too easy for you, but there's so many sentences you have to get through, but you can actually pass over them quickly um, by just giving us the right kind of feedback. That's and that's cool. all automated. In Customized. The so yeah. It helps every person uh, move along at their own pace, at their own learning speed. Yes, I think that's cool. Instead of having to go through all the levels and unlocking, uh, like some apps do, you know, you have to go through it. Or they have like these really ridiculous tests where if you make three typos, then suddenly you don't know the language anymore or something. You know, <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Good luck typing in like uh, Russian or like spelling in languages that you just started learning. It's it's quite a, a stretch. You know, it doesn't mean you you don't know anything. It's just that particular word you you didn't know if it was a or o. You know, it's it's a bit ruthless that way. But I like your idea about having kind of the the computer, the algorithm, figure it out as you go along dynamically. So you, you yeah, always I, I remember I, I tried out an app recently. Um, maybe it was about a year or so ago. But uh, I I chose Russian, and. And so I was starting off with the app, and it asked me to type in the word for man in Russian. And I was thinking, this is level one. So I type in Chelovyek. I don't know. I think I made a, um, a mistake, or maybe it was the wrong word, because I do know a few words of Russian. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then just the first thing I got was wrong. <laughs> oh, this is, not really, this is not really building my confidence. <laughs> encouraging, yeah. yeah. Not very encouraging. <laughs> No, but I yeah, that's. Okay. I think it's okay for learners to to be making those mistakes. And I think one of the one of the hardest things for people learning Glossic at the beginning is that they think that they're supposed to memorize the sentence, and they think they're supposed to get it right the exact the very first time. And that's that's a wrong impression to have because that sentence that you got on the first day, it's going to show up many many times. You have many many opportunities to get it right. And you don't need to memorize it because after you've practiced it 20 times over the next three or four, over the next week uh, or three or four days, you're going to remember that sentence naturally. Mm. You don't have to do any extra effort. You don't need to turn off Glossika and then do homework. The whole point of this is that we don't, I personally, I hate homework. I never do my homework <laughs> and I never really, 
revise and review. So the next time I do my session, I want to do my all of my revision and, and everything right there in the session. That's how we built it because yeah. I know that people are busy and by the time the next day they come back to it, they're going to forget everything. I know you're going to forget everything. That's why we built it like this yeah. because we can help you just go over the material again and then add a little bit of new stuff. It's just so easy. It's so, it's so convenient. And I don't have to lay out my lesson plans or figure out what I'm going to learn next. It's all taken care of for you. So I think the greatest thing about Glossic is that it, I can I can go live my life and forget about all my language learning and I can come back and just do a little bit every day and it, and it really just builds. Mm-hmm. And and that review and revision it really helps me learn everything um without without any extra effort, you know. Keep the effort level low but really high um um uh a really high if you know effect, you know, and results. Yeah, and I I think also I don't I don't have any science to back this up, but I think we're more likely to remember things if we don't try to remember them. Like if we <laughs> if we really focus yeah. on it's kind of this like uh, idea. I think I when I did my driving lessons, uh, <clears throat> it was about twelve years ago. I was driving and and the instructor said you have to focus your point of view on the road, the middle of the road in front of you, you know, the middle of your lane. If you focus on the oncoming traffic, then you're hands are automatically going to, you know, steer towards it. So it's, oh. to me, it's interesting that, you know, we don't want to crash, of course, but sometimes if you focus on the thing uh, that you want or that you don't want too much, it kind of just makes it a lot harder. Uh, and I think for the memory, it, it, it cannot feel like you're trying to remember because then it will do anything it can to not remember it probably. You know, <laughs> I, I don't have any science for this. I wish to, if somebody has any There's studies. There's a little bit of science behind this. On, any ideas, that would be great. There's a little bit of science behind this. And most of our memories go through uh, a piece in the brain called the hippocampus. And so when a memory is created, it, it normally has um, these connections between the, the neurons and cells in the brain. And so there's something called an anchor, just a, a, a it's just a convenient word that we have, but if you experience if you experience um, something happening, that becomes part of your long term memory. Normally, that if you have sight and sound and smell and touch and all of these other things, they all create an individual anchor. So more connections with that cell or that group of cells that create that memory. And so those connections, the more connections you have, um, the deeper ingrained it is in your brain. So, for example, if you do experience a car accident, you're going to have a lot of a lot of anchors in there and a lot of trauma involved with that. So it, it actually stays in your your memory a lot longer than, let's say, the kind of food you had for lunch yesterday, <laughs> right. which you will easily forget. Was it a sandwich? Was it a soup? I forget. But but sometimes those flavors, like maybe the flavor of your grandmother's cooking or your mother's cooking might go, stay with you for life. And, and so maybe in old age, you have that same flavor and you're like, wow, this is exactly like my grandmother's cooking. And so that creates a very strong anchor from, from early in life, you know, that stays with you for life. So we're able to identify very specific things um, later in life. And so there, there's an interesting parallel here with language learning is that building up those anchors and, and then actually strengthening the... Um, the, the cells in the brain to remember, um, normally that just happens with uh, exposure. 
Yeah. So you can, you can create a stronger connection with more exposure as long as it's exposure that's meaningful and it's something that you understand. So if it's a meaningful in a, uh, exchange of information, then you're more likely to remember it longer, especially if you build in that muscle memory with the tongue, then you're building an extra anchor because the muscle moving in combination with the sound is, is the best, is the best way to, um, to build that long-term memory with the, with the, with language. And that, that works towards fluency because fluency, fluency is embedded in the muscle. It's not embedded in the eyes. It's not embedded in the, in the knowledge of the brain. Fluency is in the muscle. So you have to move the muscle if you're going to get to fluency. And so, I mean, it's okay. You don't have to practice with your tongue, but um, you can get to the point where you understand a lot of things. But you repeat it, it, out loud, I guess. You repeat out loud. It, it just it just really helps to to move the tongue along with whatever you're you're listening to, no matter how much mumbling it is, because it gets better. It gets better. It gets much better, and it improves very quickly. Yeah, yeah. It, practice makes perfect. I think is the uh, kind of conclusion to uh, <laughs> to to our discussion here. Yeah, um, you really don't even need somebody to fix your pronunciation that all that much because um well we're always going to have some accent in a foreign language but um the more practice you do the better your pronunciation gets and especially if you get outside and you speak with a native speaker so if i'm if i meet with an italian or a german or a russian person and i'm speaking and i say something is just wrong they're just going to look at me funny yeah and and then i and then they tell me how to say it right way and and i say and that creates a, a very strong memory connection in my brain, and that experience will help me remember it. <clears throat> and I'm more, more more than likely say it right the next time. <laughs> yeah, might still happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I think you should have your own podcast, Mike. You have such great, uh, interesting inputs on on the the facets of language learning and and the the theories behind it. So that could be an interesting new the Glossika podcast with Mike. You know. Uh, people could listen into some of your musings on on the different learning ideas i think you should consider that well, we do have a, a weekly video that goes out on the glossica youtube channel and so <clears throat> i invite people to ask questions because then i can address those questions with um some information that i share every week um we may that we may increase that to more than a week but um but it you know, it depends on how many questions we get. I mean, we I could just sit there recording a lot of different things all the time. Ask but Mike. I try to keep it short. <laughs> try to keep it like maybe three to five minutes. Um, so if you find a topic you're interested in, um, anybody out there listening and um, on the YouTube channel, the Glossica YouTube channel, you can um, go ahead and sign up and we'll have new content coming out. Be sure to send us in questions and I'm always available to answer. And of course, Chris, you can always... Um, invite me back on, and if you have, um, maybe you do, pick yeah. up on topics from other people you interview, and maybe you'd like to to ask me um, what I think about it, and vice versa. Ask your other guests. Um, but thank you very much. No, you're very <laughs> welcome. It's been a real pleasure, and I, I can't believe the the time has flown by so quickly. <laughs> it was really an interesting uh, episode, and I also want to. I, I need to start. I need to do more work. Uh, every time I. I talk about methods and strategies. I always get excited to go back, so I, I might load up a, a little session of my my Glossika hereafter. <laughs> Do you okay. have any uh, any last um, any last uh, piece of information for people or places, uh, website URLs, anything you want them to check out? Of course, they can try our Glossika, try Glossika.com. You get the right. you know, Glossika.com, 
And glossica yeah. with a K. Uh, it's from the Greek word for, for language, linguistics. So it's um, hopefully not too hard to remember. <laughs> and um, yeah, we've got the, we've got, um, yeah, just the website, glossica.com. You can sign up for free and you actually get um, free courses. If you, if you actually sign in, <clears throat> we have some free languages in there. They're normally um, non-national languages, like a minority. So you can get Welsh and, and Scottish and Catalan and some Chinese dialects in there for free. And then we also have, um, um, you can try any of our languages for free. So there's that at least a, a week's worth of material in there for, for each language that you can try. So whatever you'd like to, um, it's fine. Just to see if you get on with the, the method, because obviously we're yeah, all different than some people just respond a lot better to certain methods than others and a great thing is that if you've had maybe french in high school and it's been a few years uh or maybe french in university and it's been a few years since you've practiced it then getting back on glossica will bring the, the language back alive really quickly and you might actually just recover what you've lost in a short amount of time and make a lot of new progress and the great thing about that is that you've probably had a lot of grammar classes. You kind of know how the language works and how the grammar works. And what you really need right now is just that kind of, um, you know, that, that voice, that audio training. And by doing that, you, you'll pick up a huge amount of the language in a very short period of time. So it really helps for those people that have had classes in the past and they haven't come back to the language in a long time. That's where you're going to make the – that's where Glossica gives people the biggest benefit. And the other thing is we've had um, – stories from people where they, they learned the language as a child or they heard their parents or grandparents speaking the language, but they never actually learned to speak it themselves. These people actually get a lot of, um, a lot of uh, progress in the language because they're familiar with it already. And so Glossica just really builds that, 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 um, that expressive ability for them really quickly. Cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for being uh, generous with your time today, Mike. It's been a real pleasure for me. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. And uh, maybe I'll see you sooner than three years for the next. Uh, oh, next yes. Sure. Sure. Thanks. Thank you very much.